I will, uh, I'll mention to you, I, I just received a, a heads up and, and uh, then went over and talked to the source. Uh, Zach Humble, raise your hand, Zach, is on the Fort Scott High School debate team, and they took first place in state. <laughs> Man, that's fantastic. Good job, Zach, and others that are on that team. Appreciate you don't stand a chance, do you, at home? Uh, we are in Acts chapter 2 today. I encourage you to turn to your Bibles and follow along uh, in that text. Something that I discovered as I was researching this sermon series, did you know that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, actually wrote more of our New Testament than even what the Apostle Paul did? Now, to me, that was a surprise because I have heard all of my life that Paul wrote nearly half of the New Testament. But as you think about it, he wrote nearly half of the New Testament books. But some of those books are pretty short. When it comes to content, Luke actually wrote more content than what Paul wrote. In fact, one source that I looked at said that Luke wrote about 5,000 more words than what Paul wrote. Uh, Now, if you count Hebrews as a part of Paul's writing, which a lot of folks think that Paul wrote that book, and I'm uh, fine with that, uh, still Luke has him beat by 500 words. Uh, You remember Luke wrote two books. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, that book that bears his own name, and then the continuation of that gospel, which is the book of Acts. Now the gospel of Luke, of course, tells the story of Jesus, and then Acts picks up right where Luke left, leaves off, and it tells us the story of the New Testament church. It tells us about the beginning of the church and its early expansion. So as we enter into chapter 2 of Acts, We are literally looking at the beginning point, the birth date of the New Testament church. It was the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish holiday. Pente means 50. You may remember that from last week. My brother mentioned that to you in his preaching. We are 50 days after the Passover Sabbath, which means that we are on Sunday, seven weeks to the day following the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has already ascended into heaven. He has told His disciples to wait for the filling of the Holy Spirit, to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Well, their wait is about to be over. And they are going to disrupt the whole city of Jerusalem with their preaching. In fact, they are going to disrupt the whole world with their preaching. Now, for a moment, I would like for you to get in groups of four or five people around you, and I would like for you to discuss amongst yourselves how you would finish this sentence. If we could get it on the screen, please. I want the person who preaches to us on Sunday to be... And how would you finish that? Okay? Maybe you would say, I want him to be better looking. (laughs) I want him to have more hair. You know, I want him to be shorter-winded. 
Or maybe you would say something like, I, I want him to speak the truth. I want him to be bold. I want you to come up with five characteristics. Just get in the little groups around you and come up with five characteristics of how you would finish this sentence, please. Don't be afraid to get up and move around. Okay, as you're finishing up, hopefully you've got a list of close to five, if not five, characteristics. I'd like, if you would be willing, someone to be a spokesman from your group, I'll call on you, you raise your hand, I want to hear from you some of the things that you've come up with this morning, okay? And you'll have to speak really loud so that I can hear you. And if somebody says what you were going to say, then you just go to the next point in your list, okay? I just want us to, to hear a little bit from the crowd this morning. What kind of preacher are you really looking for? What kind of person do you think needs to be up here preaching to you on Sunday? Let's, let's hear from you. Okay, thank you, Don. Truthful. How many of you had that in your list? Okay, good number of you. I suspected that that would be towards the top of your list. Yes, sir. Spirit-filled. How many of you had that in your list? Okay, a good number of you did. Okay, we're thinking alike, aren't we? Who? Uh, what else, Dan? Bold. Anybody have that in your list? Okay, several. Bold. Okay, Randy knowledgeable okay all right several of you had that what else do you have younger, younger. <laughs> <laughs> that was sylvia okay <laughs> yes ma'am outgoing okay good not judging i heard what else Doug? God inspired. Okay, somebody said loving. That's good. What else? Anybody? Yes, uh, Sharon? 
I heard Bible preach directly from the Bible. Okay, good. What, what I'm interested in, as you have come up with this list of, you know, I want the person who's preaching here in this pulpit to be, I want you to look at that list, and then as we look through Acts chapter 2 today, we're going to come up with a list from Acts 2, and I want you to compare the list that you've come up with with what I've seen directly from Scripture here, okay? Uh, you've, you've come up with a great list of, of points. The first one that I see uh, from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, the ones preaching here on Pentecost were Spirit-filled. And, and let me ask you, who is it that's preaching on Pentecost? It's more than just Peter. It's the twelve. You remember Matthias has been chosen through uh, prayer, and he's taken Judas's spot. And these twelve are the ones who are preaching on the day of Pentecost. Now, Peter's sermon is going to be the one that's highlighted in the text, but all twelve of them are preaching on this particular day. Now, we could get caught up in a discussion about tongues this morning. I'd really rather not do that. I'd rather just talk about the filling of God's Spirit. Uh, as a preacher of the Gospel, I need His filling. I need His leading. I need His presence and His power. If I get up here to preach to you on a Sunday morning and, and the Spirit is not a part of it, what a disaster it is in the making. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. If I try to bring to you a sermon in my own wisdom or in my own eloquence, that's a waste of time. That's a waste of your time and it's a waste of my time too. But if the Spirit of the living God is in it, then it can be a message that exactly what you need to hear. I don't know the number of times that I've been studying a sermon on Sunday morning. I've had the sermon written, I've prepared it through the week, and I'll look at it early on a Sunday morning, and I'll, I'll be studying that, and I will cry out to God, Lord God, I need Your help today. This sermon needs Your help. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you come and would you take over? Would you use this message to your glory and to your honor? And usually that's the message that God will use the most. Somebody may come up to me afterwards and say, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. I've had people come up to me and try to repeat something that I've said in the sermon. And I'll be thinking, did I, did I say that? <laughs> and I, I, I don't, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. What I think happens sometimes is that the Holy Spirit can take what I say and He can help you hear what you need to hear. As I'm praying for His Holy Spirit to fill me, I, I want to ask you to pray the same thing. That God would use His Spirit to help me in the preaching and that He would help you 
in the hearing. Really, if, if each of us were praying that prayer on a Sunday morning, that God, would you help the preacher today, whether it's Kevin or Dusty or, or whoever it is that's standing here preaching on a Sunday morning, would you fill him? Would you use him with your Holy Spirit? And then, Lord, would you help me to hear what you would have me to hear? If we would all be praying that prayer on a Sunday morning, what a good formula that is for God to be able to use that message to move in our life. And certainly, He moved in the lives of those who were on Pentecost Sunday. He used His Spirit to help those who were preaching. And you remember what happened. They were preaching. They were able to speak in a foreign language that they had never studied before. That's, that's what the gift of tongues was. It was a, an empowerment of God's Spirit to come into those men and to help them spread the message of God in a language that they had never learned. And then he moved too in those who were hearing the message. And that message cut into the heart of those people as they heard the message of Jesus for the very first time. And when the Holy Spirit is filling us, then good things are going to happen. And so I, I dare say, the one who stands here in this pulpit and preaches the message of God, he needs to be Spirit-filled. And secondly, those who were preaching on the day of Pentecost... They were declaring the wonders of God. And you can see that in chapter 2 of Acts, verse 11. Let me read it to you. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. The NIV says they declared the wonders of God. And there are a lot of wonders, aren't there? I mean, there is the wonder of His grace that He would save a wretch like me. His grace is available for all of us if we'll turn our hearts to Him. That is the wonder of all wonders. He's not prejudiced. He's not partial. Who, whoever believes will not perish, but will have everlasting life. I used that verse just yesterday for a lady who's on her deathbed, Lucille Snyder. I was called to go out there. Marcy and I together went out there and we stood at the bedside of Lucille Snyder, the mother of, of Del Parks. And, and actually, Lucille was just having a little bit of, uh, I guess, the, the unknown, the uncertainty of dying. And, and I, I, I had been told, talk to her about assurance and I stepped to her bedside and I said Lucille I, I want to remind you that as you leave this earth and you're going to stand before the Lord it's not about what you've done it's not about have you been good enough but rather have you believed in Jesus Christ have you trusted in him as your savior and i quoted to her john 3:16 whosoever believes 
will not perish, but have everlasting life. I quoted to her Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And I think it really did help her. It gave to her a reminder of the truth of God's Word that, that it's not about what have I been good enough, but rather, who have I put my trust in? And the Scripture says, whosoever believes. That verse out of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 17, it says, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I love that word, whosoever, because it includes you, it includes me, and that truly is the wonder of God, that He would invite into His presence sinners, sinners who are willing to drink of the water of life. We don't deserve it, but He lavishes His grace upon us. I'm wondering, wonder what else the, the apostles on that day of Pentecost might have preached about the mighty deeds of God, the wonders of God. I wonder what else they were talking about to those folks. Well, I'm thinking the wonder that God would give up His only begotten Son. The wonder that the Son would leave the splendor of heaven and come to this earth to become one of us. The wonder that He would be born of a virgin. The wonder that He was without sin. The wonder that He could touch the leper and the leper would be healed. The wonder that He could speak to the lame man and give him a helping hand and the man would walk for the very first time. The wonder that He could put mud, clay on a blind man's eyes and tell him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And and the wonder that He could come back seen. I think those are the wonders that the apostles must have spoken to them about. I I want to be a preacher who speaks about the wonders of God. And there's a lot of them. And would you pray for me about that? I, I, I dare say, whoever stands in this pulpit, that person needs to declare the wonders of God. And probably, you know, as you pray for me about that, that I can proclaim the wonders of God, I need to be praying for you about that too. Because you need to be in on the declaration of God's wonders to those people whom you are around. Let me give to you a third point here. As we're talking about the kind of preacher, a Pentecost kind of preacher. I know I did not say a Pentecostal preacher. I said a Pentecost kind of preacher. What is it? What's he look like? He's one who addressed the crowd. Those who were on Pentecost preaching, they were addressing the crowd. Verse 14 in the NIV it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Now, I, I realize that that's probably foremost talking about the fact that he just publicly addressed them. But you know what else I gather from that? I think he not only publicly addressed them, but what he had to say to them was applicable to them. 
the message had to do with them. And I I would hope that you would pray for me about that as well. That as I stand up here to preach to you, that it would be a message that would be applicable to you. I want to be that kind of preacher to you. I, I love it when someone walks out the door on a Sunday morning and they say something like this. How did you know? How did you know what I was going through this week? Or, your message spoke to me. It was exactly what I needed to hear. You were talking to me this morning. You know, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not me. And I would hope that that would be the case every week. That there is something in the message that is for you. Have you ever heard a preacher get up and talk about nothing? I guess some preachers can do that. Shame on me if what I say isn't applicable. I remember here in the last, uh, probably three years ago, I was at a class at Ozark uh, on preaching. And the teacher, I think it was Damian Spickerite, he said there needs to be three things in every sermon. There needs to be explanation of the text. There needs to be illustration of the text. And there needs to be application of the text. You you understand those three points? Explanation of the text. This This is what the text means. Illustration of the text is an illustration simply to help you understand it. An application of the text is, how does this text have to do with me? What's it have to do with me? How does it affect my life today? And the latter one is the one that I'm talking about. The preacher needs to be able to apply the text to 2016. Even though this book is 2,000 plus years old, this book is still applicable to our lives today. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the Word of God is what? Living. It's alive. It's active. In other words, it's not dead. It's not outdated. He says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It reaches even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This book is applicable to our lives today. Would you pray for me that as I stand up here to preach that I can speak to you a message that addresses your life? I mean, this book can help you with your marriage and your family. This book can help you manage your money better. This book can help you be a better neighbor and a better friend. And I think a Pentecost kind of preacher is going to be one who addresses the crowd and speaks to the crowd right where they're at. And that's what these guys were doing on the day of Pentecost. They addressed the crowd. They addressed to them about Jesus. Number four, the ones preaching on Pentecost were speaking the truth of God's Word. I think it was Sharon back here that said she felt like 
one who stands in this pulpit, his sermons need to be based on the Word of God. And I hope every one of you feel that way. Because, and how is it that this message is applicable to you? One of these days, I'm not going to be here anymore. And you're going to be looking for somebody to stand here in this pulpit and preach to you. And you're going to have to decide, okay, what kind of person is it that I want this church to have? And the leaders particularly are going to be making that kind of a decision. What kind of preacher is it that we want? We, we should have right there at the top of that list is one who is basing his preaching on the Word of God. And he believes that it truly is the Word of God. And we could read Acts 2 and see this to be true, that Peter's sermon, the other's sermons, they were based on the Word of God. This was not Peter's Word. It was the Word of God that was being spoken. Verses 17 through 21 of Acts chapter 2 Peter is quoting the prophet Joel. Chapter 2, verse 25 and following, he's quoting David's writings in the Psalms. This was a Bible-based sermon all the way through. And that's why it had such an impact on people's lives. Because this book, the Word of God, is what, it's like a hammer, the prophet Jeremiah said. It's like a fire. It's a fire burning in my bones, Jeremiah said. When this word is preached, God is able to use it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, For uh, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you understand? This book can bring life to you. This book can bring joy. This book can bring peace. It can convict and it brings to us a point to a point of repentance. This book can bring understanding and wisdom to us. It is the truth, Jesus said. Whoever stands in this pulpit needs to be one who is preaching the truth of God. Not his own ideas, not his own uh, opinions so much as what he is preaching, the Word of God that is living and active. And sometimes the truth is hard to receive. Do you think those on the day of Pentecost, do you think it was hard for them to receive the Word of God as Peter and the others? I, I, I just can't help but believe, but maybe they were even saying, you are the one with the finger. You are the one who crucified the, the Holy One. Preach the Word of God. And the truth is sometimes hard to receive. Oftentimes the truth is opposite of what the world is telling us. So, while we are praying for the One who is here to be preaching the truth of God, let us pray too that we who are hearing the message, that we would be able to receive the Word of God. That we would not put up a defense. That we would not do this. 
but that we would receive the Word of God. This book can enlighten you as to what the truth is. I will tell you, the TV will not enlighten you as to what the truth is. The, the music industry of this world will not enlighten you as to what the truth is. But this book will enlighten you as to what the truth is. It will help you determine what is right and what is wrong. And so that is why we need to be spending time in this book through the week. We need to be letting the words of this book wash over our mind and our heart and renew us, transform us. Because if we're not doing that, then the devil, who is the father of lies, he is the master of deception, he is an angel in disguise, he will be able to lead you astray. He will cause you to miss the truth if you are not being renewed by the words of this book. This book can give you the truth about creation and your origin. It will give you the truth as to why you are here. It will give you the truth about sin and salvation. It will give you the truth about morality, including the truth about homosexuality, and also the truth about living together prior to marriage. It will give you the truth about heaven and hell. And that I want to be a preacher whose sermons, whose preaching is based on the truth of God's Word. That's what a Pentecost kind of preacher is. One who preaches the truth of God's Word. Let me give to you a fifth point. The ones who preached on Pentecost preached Jesus. They preached Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Just as you hear straight from the the mouth of Peter... The point of the sermon, see how much Jesus was in the center point of the preaching. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put Him to death. But God raised Him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for Him to be held in its power. There is no better subject to preach on than Jesus. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2? He said, For I am determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Whoever stands in this pulpit needs to preach Jesus. He is the only way that people can be saved. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. No other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Why would we not preach Jesus? 
I mean, it's in Him that we have eternal life. It's in Him that we find the abundant life here. And by that, I'm not talking money in my pocket. I'm talking the abundant life, the fulfilled life, the satisfying life that's in Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, there is no life. And number six, the ones who preached on Pentecost preached boldly. And a a number of you, as you came up with your list, uh, you raised your hand and you said, I want somebody in this pulpit that's bold. And we need that. Verse 36, you talk about boldness. It's written all over this verse. Chapter 2, verse, verse 36. This is the punchline to the whole sermon. I mean, this is, this is invitation time. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. Wow. There was no beating around the bush with that statement. The Jewish people didn't go away from the sermon and say to one another, I wonder what Peter was trying to say. No. Nobody said that. They knew exactly what he was trying to say. They knew that he was saying to them, You crucified the Son of God, the Holy One, the Messiah, whom we have been waiting for for thousands of years. He came and you crucified Him. But God raised Him from the dead. And verse 37 says, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to, the, to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? I want to be a preacher who boldly preaches the truth about Jesus and about sin and about commitment. We need that kind of boldness in pulpits today. What good are we doing people on if we're just patting them on the back? Now, I'm all about encouragement. I'm all about you know spurring people on to, to love and good deeds. Hebrews talks about the importance of that. But we cannot stand here in the pulpit and just say, you know, God loves us. God's going to save all of us. No. He wants to save all of us. And He does love us. But He calls for a commitment from us. He calls for a surrender. To Jesus, His Son. Jesus did not die needlessly. He died so that we could come to Him. We need more boldness. Balanced with love, for sure. And so, my here at this start of 2016, my commitment to you, as the one who stands here and preaches on Sundays. My commitment to you is to be a Pentecost kind of preacher. I want to be Spirit-filled and I am 
I am seeking His filling. I will declare to you the wonders of God. I will address to you a message that is applicable to your life today. I will speak to you the truth of God's Word. And I will preach to you about Jesus. And I will be bold and not shrink back from telling you the truth. And we are talking about commitment. That is our theme for 2016. We are challenging you as a church family. We are challenging you as individuals to be fully committed to Jesus Christ. To say, I will. The question is, will you be committed? We want you to say, yes, I will be committed. And my commitment to you, besides saying with you, I will be committed, because we're in that together. In addition to that, my commitment to you is I will be a Pentecost kind of preacher to you. And you know what? Pentecost kind of preaching... there was a great response. We're going to talk about that response next week. As people heard the message, the truth of God presented to them in a clear, applicable, understanding way, they were convicted to a point that they said, what shall we do? William Booth, he started the Salvation Army many years ago, and I'm told that he had the entire book of Acts memorized. And as he got older, his eyesight deteriorated drastically to a point that he was legally blind. And so people would come by to see him and, and visit with him. And, and as I was told this story, that he would often say to them, would you reach up there on that shelf and get my Bible and just open it to the book of Acts? And people, sure, and they'd get the Bible and they'd open it up to the book of Acts and he'd say, put your finger on a verse. And they'd do that. And he'd say, Where, where's your finger at? Acts chapter 4, verse 32, William. And he'd start quoting. He'd quote Acts 4.32 and he'd just start quoting chapter after chapter. And maybe he'd quote two or three chapters and then he'd get tired and he'd quit. And he'd, he'd take that Bible, he'd close it up. He'd pat that Bible with his hand and he'd say, Oh Lord, do it again. Oh, Lord, do it again. And that's my prayer for you, the family of God at Community Christian Church in Fort Scott, Kansas. I would say, oh, Lord,
God, as we read about what happened on Pentecost Sunday, we are just in awe. But help us to realize that 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 doesn't have to just be a history lesson. It can be happening today. Because your word is the same, your spirit is the same. People's needs are the same. And so help us to pray and help us to preach and help us to love. And would you please do it again?